Do you ever feel like you're out of gas spiritually? The Apostle Paul has good news for tired, exhausted Christians. Welcome to Truth Encounter. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, the pastor of Midlothian Bible Church, is teaching through the book of Ephesians, and we thank you for joining us. Let's turn to Ephesians 1, 15-23, and learn how to plug into this source that will last forever. I forgot completely that apartments are not like houses. When you move into my house, you can pull right up into the garage, you can back the U-Haul up truck right to the back of my house, go right through the door, you're right there. I forgot with apartment buildings, you know, good night, it's 75 yards just to get to the apartment door. And then you got to go up three flights of stairs because Jonathan, you guessed it, he chose not a bottom floor apartment, but three flights up. And man, I was really thankful that Josh, the strong muscles, decided to go along with this because man, I was running into the gas. In fact, about 5.15, I was out of power, but I'm in the house and we needed to get some beds put together. We needed to get some tables put together. We needed to get some chairs put together because we disassembled some of that stuff. I said, Jonathan, do you have a screwdriver? Well, if any of you know anything about my oldest son, that he's not, you know, Mr. Fix-It. But when he got married, one of his wedding gifts was to receive this bag. It's like an athletic bag. It's what I keep my basketball shoes in and stuff. Well, he's got a bunch of tools. Right over there, Dad, in the closet, there's a black athletic bag. And there's a screwdriver in there. Well, I reached in there and got what is supposed to be a screwdriver. Now, it's not even one of these jobs. I mean, like, I've got some good ones here that you can kind of plug in, you know, these drills. Wallace McWhorter got me to get this one. This is Wallace's obsessive, compulsive thing. Every time he sees one of these, he buys them because it's such a good deal. And I was with him one time and he made me buy this. Well... Jonathan didn't have either one of those things. He has this really weird, weird tubular thing. And, it, and it, it's like a flashlight, only at the end you have this little screw attachment, like a screwdriver attachment you put in there. It was totally dead. And then I tried to use it mechanically. Well, it was so fat that you couldn't get into it. You know, there's nothing worse than you're, that I'm out of power physically... And I grab a hold of one of these stupid machines that's supposed to have power to spare, and I can't even get the thing to do what this is doing right now. I just don't have any power. And we couldn't get the tables together. We had to wait till we could get a regular screwdriver. But it reminded me of the... I was frustrated. You ever been like that? How many of you have ever been frustrated with electric tools that are just out of power, all right? And you've all been frustrated when you're out of power. Well, I want to share with you that there's probably nothing more frustrating than that, but there is something that's more frustrating than that. Some of you this morning are trying to live your Christian life with human power. You try to plug yourself in. You try to get your battery plugged in to different things that keep you going for a while. And you go to various seminars, and some of those are really good. You go to various places. You go to various retreats. And you try to drink deeply from the power sources that are available to you there. But as you look back over your life, it's very possible today, if I were to ask you, how do you feel your spiritual life is going? How do you feel your relationship with God is going? How do you feel that your victory over some of those besetting weaknesses, how do you feel they're going? Ask yourself that today. How is it going in your walk with the Lord? How is it going in your growth in the Lord Jesus? How is it going in overcoming some of those habits that you've been struggling with? 
And if you answer that question and say, Dave, to be honest with you, I identify with what you just said. I feel like my battery power, some of you are like this big battery pack and you last a long time, but eventually this runs out. Some of you say, man, my life is a lot more like this littler drill that won't last nearly as long, but it still runs out of power. And some of you say, well, Dave, I feel that my Christian life is like that stupid tubular thing that, that Jonathan had that ran out of gas and hard, would only last for about five minutes. Well, I've got good news for you today. Some of you have been raised on teaching that's always making you feel guilty and it's always making you feel bad and it's always making you feel like you need to do so much more. Some of you are really working hard trying to make yourself pleasing to Jesus. And I want you to listen to me because that's not going to ever work. Because Jesus doesn't want you to earn your relationship with him. And he doesn't want you to work hard to get closer to him in the sense that you're trying to earn that position in his family. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit reach from heaven down to us. And it's a gift of grace. It's not because you earn it. It's not because you perform. It's a gift of grace. And that's the hardest thing in the world for us to understand. But when you understand that, it fills your life with blessing. It fills your life with thanksgiving. As we open up to Ephesians chapter 1 today, we're going to learn about how we can live not on human power, not on battery-operated self-help programs, but how we can live on Christ's resurrection power. I, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to know that as you're sitting there today, resurrection power is available to you. If you've received Jesus into your heart, then as you sit there today, the most incredible power, in fact, it's the power that's absolutely needed for us to eventually make it to heaven, for us to, to be able to grow in the Lord Jesus right now, is resurrection power. And I want you to know that that power is available to you. And I want you to ask yourself, are you depending upon your power and your strength, or have you opened yourself up to this gift of resurrection power? The Apostle Paul, probably more than any of the other first century apostles, understood the incredible wonder of God's grace. And we looked at the last few weeks, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, as the Apostle Paul began. Just turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just keep on spinning the page in the New Testament. You'll come to Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul in verses 3 through 14 just busts into blessing and praise to God for all that he's done for you, for all the gifts that he's given to you. He talks about God's calling of you and his predestination of you before even there was creation. He talked about the work of God the Father in initiating your salvation. And he places that even before time began. He talked about the work of God the Son in redeeming you and paying the price so that you could be forgiven. And then last Sunday, we talked about the incredible gift of God's Holy Spirit being given to you so that your eyes can see, so that your ears can hear, so that your heart can understand. Now, the Apostle Paul in verse 15 switches from blessing God to giving thanksgiving for the recipients of the letter. And one of the things I want to encourage you dads to do, I want to encourage you husbands to do, I want you to express thanksgiving for your wife, express thanksgiving for your kids. You need to ask yourself, am I a thanksgiving kind of a person? Am I a person that gets gratitude out, that blesses? It could totally change your life if we together start uniting together and becoming a people that openly expresses thanksgiving. 
Look at it in verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, ever since I heard about your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, this verse has even been used to create guilt in my own life because I, one of the things I asked myself is, man, did Paul pray all the time and he just never stopped praying and he says, I never stopped you know, thanking the Lord for you. So what Paul did all day long is he was down on his knees thanking the Lord for the Ephesian believers. Is that what Paul is saying? No, it's a hyperbole, it's a figure of speech. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that when he had times of prayer, as a good Jewish man, he probably had prayers like Daniel three times a day where he would pray toward Jerusalem. And, and he, during that time of prayer, all of you have different times of prayer. What the Apostle Paul is saying is every time that he had a time of prayer, one of the things he did in his prayer is he thanked God for the believers that the Lord had brought him in contact with. And he thanks the Lord for some very specific things. Notice, first of all, he says, I thank the Lord Jesus for your faith in the Lord Jesus. I want to thank the Lord for your faith in the Lord Jesus. I want you to be thankful for the faith in the Lord Jesus of the person sitting next to you. That's a ground level of thanksgiving. I want one of the greatest praises, one of the greatest expressions of gratitude that's in your life is that when little children come to know Jesus... When little children put their faith in Christ, I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to cause us to have a spirit of thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul says that he writes to the Ephesians, he's saying the very first thing I thank the Lord Jesus for is your faith in the Lord Jesus. What does he mean by that? We talked a little bit about it in the previous verses. The Apostle Paul talked about when the Ephesians heard the gospel, they heard the word of truth, and then they rested in it, they trusted in it. And I share with you, in my own life, that moment was when I was five years of age. Samuel, uh, that, we, that was baptized, was, was just a little bit older than I think Samuel was seven. I've known some others, like last week we saw some adults that were baptized that share with you that, that they came through, they heard the gospel, but it didn't quite click. And then they got up kind of into their 30s, and suddenly the Holy Spirit enlightened their eyes, and they understood it. Has your heart trusted in Jesus? What are you resting on today for your eternal life? And the bottom line is this, is that you hear the truth about Jesus, that Christ died for us, that he died so that our sins could be forgiven. We don't have to work hard to get forgiveness. We don't have to join some religious institution to receive forgiveness. We don't have to receive communion to receive forgiveness. We don't have to try to, you know, to go out this week and, and do a lot of good works to receive forgiveness. We do all of those things because of the good gift that the Lord put into our heart. And the Apostle Paul says, I thank the Lord for your faith in the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is, when he talked about the Ephesians, he's, he could remember when he went into the city of Ephesus and they were pagans and they were worshiping that female goddess Artemis. And when they were bound up in a, in a lifestyle that was negative, it was contrary to the Holy Spirit, contrary to what God had for them. And they heard the gospel. And it was, there was power in that. And it had to be of God. They heard about this Palestinian carpenter named Jesus, who was the Messiah. And Paul would explain to them about the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament. He would explain to them about what Jesus had done. He'd tell them the story of Calvary and how Jesus died for them. He told them the story of the empty tomb. Now, from a human standpoint, that might sound ludicrous. You know, what's going to cause these pagans to respond? Why are they going to care about this, this Jew that lived a thousand miles to the, to, the, to the east of them? What do they care? 
But I want you to know that there's power in the gospel. And there's power in that gospel this morning. And the very first thing, I want to be able to thank God for your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage every one of you, like as you go home today, if some of you dads have never explained to your children about how you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, do that today. You moms, if you've never opened up to your kids and told them your salvation story, do it today. Maybe that's something in the family you could do around the lunch table today. You could talk about the message, but one of the things you could say, well, let's just take some time today and let's share about when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. Let the little ones share about when they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. If you haven't, I'd say, well, Dave, I'm not sure I've done that. You can do that even as I'm preaching. You see, putting your faith in the Lord Jesus is something you do deep inside your heart that causes you to rest in the work of Jesus, to trust and put your confidence that Jesus will deliver on his promises. And you can do that right where you're sitting. It's you just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I've heard the truth about you. I've been coming to Midlothian Bible Church for the last several weeks, and I've been studying the book of Ephesians, and I've, I, can, I know this is the truth. And I'm going to trust in Jesus. And then every one of us could join with you in thanking the Lord Jesus for your faith in him. I want to be absolutely sure that I can thank the Lord for every one of you and your faith that you've placed in the Lord Jesus. And I want, us to, I want that to be something that whenever we hear someone share about how they place their faith in the Lord Jesus, we hug them, we thank God for them, and that's what our prayers, some of our prayers this week need to be that we're praying and we thank God for all the stories of faith, all the stories of redemption that Jesus has done. The second thing, if you look at the Apostle Paul prays for, if you have this vertical faith in the Lord Jesus... It will express itself in love for all the saints. Now, remember, the saints are not just the Mother Teresa's. We talked about that in the beginning, in, in Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. We talked about what it meant to be a saint. And a saint is one that's been called by the Lord Jesus to trust in him. And all those that have trusted him become set apart. They become one of God's children. They're adopted into God's family. So saint isn't just a select few of you. It is all of you that have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul says that he thanks the Lord that the Ephesians love all the saints. You say, Dave, what's one of the evidences? If I trust in Jesus, what's one of the evidences that I really have trusted in Jesus? You're going to want to be with the people that you're sitting next to here. You're going to want to be, like, if you're a high school student, you're going to look forward when you can hang around with your family members, that others that love Jesus. You're going to look forward to going out and sharing Jesus with others, but you'll also look forward to times when you can just gather together with your family, your spiritual family. And you'll love, you'll love those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. If you're a man, you're going to want to spend some time. You're going to look forward to time where you can just have breakfast and prayer with some of your fellow believers because you love them. You see, if I'm honest with you, that like, I, you know, there's people that I want to be with, that I want to spend time with, that I want to be able to express my heart to. And that's part of the gift of love that the Lord has given to us. And the Apostle Paul is sharing that the horizontal expression of our faith in the Lord Jesus is our love for all the saints. You have expressed that love just being here this morning. Very important to understand that. Like your presence today and the smiles that you bring and the hugs that you give and the listening to the word of God and praying together is part of the love that we have for all the saints. 
Now, I meet some people that tell me, well, I really love Jesus, and I really believe in Jesus. I just can't stand church people and Christians. You see, I'm doing this private thing. I really like staying home, and I like watching Adrian Rogers in Memphis. Adrian preaches the lights out. That's awesome. But brothers and sisters, that's not expressing love for all the saints when you sit in your lazy boy and just vicariously watch another church family expressing love. Now, you won't have to get rubbed on. You won't have to get pricked. And you're not going to be disappointed because you don't even know those people. But it's not going to make you grow in the Lord. You need to have flesh and blood people that you sit next to, that you eat with, that you raise your kids with, that you help in the nursery with, that you, that you develop various programs, that you pray with and you get excited about serving the Lord together in love. You've got to have real life, honest-to-goodness believers. And one of the greatest attacks against the body of Christ is that the evil one is causing us as American believers to think that we live this relationship with Jesus totally individually. I know people that tell me, well, I really believe in Jesus, but they don't have any relationship with fellow believers. They're isolated. They're just doing their thing. They have a lot more relationship with a CD player than they do with real honest-to-goodness people. The Apostle Paul wants to rescue us from that. He says, I thank the Lord. Every time I remember you, I thank Jesus for your faith, your vertical relationship with Jesus. But I also thank the Lord for the way that that faith is expressed in love for all the saints. And I want to thank you for the expressions of love. I thank the Lord Jesus for your love. One of the dominant things when my fellow pastors and I go to conferences as we eat lunch with other church leaders... Many of them say, well, how do you guys, how many people do you have involved in nursery? How many people do you have involved in promised land? How many people do you have involved in Awana? They can't believe the number. They say, well, how do you, how do you get these volunteers? It's because you all are responding to the Holy Spirit and it causes you to love others. And we learn to love. You learn to love when you're holding a little baby. I heard one of the, the coolest things about an elder saint and his love for the body of Christ. Dwight Pentecost, and I've known Dwight, and I've known them for years and years. I've often spoken at Bible conferences where I spoke one hour, then Dwight spoke the next. When I was younger, it used to scare me to death because he's one of the most erudite. Any book of the Bible, I can have Dwight walk in the back door and says, all right, Ephesians chapter 1, preach it. And he's ready to go, 100%. One of the best I've ever heard speaking on the English Bible to an audience like you all. Marvelous, marvelous men of God. One that he wrote, Things to Come. It's a great big tome. It's about that thick on prophecy. It laid the groundwork for dispensational eschatology. And Dwight Pentecost, one of the leading English Bible teachers. But you know what I heard this week? He lives, when his wife went home to Jesus, he needed to have a place where he could be safe, where he could get to where he teaches. And so Dallas Seminary put him in an apartment in the new married housing, if you go to Baylor Hospital and look towards Dallas, there's a great big married housing. And Dwight Pentecost has a room in that new building that we provide at the seminary. But this is what I heard. They said what Dwight really likes to do is he likes to come to our apartment and hold our babies. He's one of those men as a great granddaddy and a granddaddy that, that it loves the family of faith. That's a man that's allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his heart. He still has tenderness towards the little ones. Some of you, 
You don't have that attitude. You say, man, I don't want those smelly yelling, you know, kind of things. But what the body of Christ, the body of Christ and Jesus working through the family of God makes us a family. He makes us united. And I want to thank the Lord for the love that you have for all the saints. And I want you to know that I'm thanking the Lord and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us and control us even more so that we will love the saints in ways that go far beyond anything that we can imagine. The way we're going to touch Midlothian with the gospel of grace is the way you love each other. And I want you to pray. I want you to thank God that the love that the Holy Spirit is generating in us, and this is one of the things that the Apostle Paul is going to be stressing in this book because it's, it's something that the, that the evil one attacks. When we get to the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus lost their first love. They lost that incredible joy, that incredible exhilaration, that incredible family unity, and, and they were very orthodox. They were very correct in their doctrine, but there wasn't that warmth in their midst anymore of, of an incredible intimacy with the Savior that was expressed in a dynamic love for one another. As American believers, we're moving away. Like when I go, when I go overseas, and with some, like, like in Brazil, for example, when I walk into a church, they overwhelm you with love. They're thrilled to death to see you. They want to have you in their home. And our own church family is asking us right now to incorporate many different kinds of people, new people that have moved here, people from other cultures, people that are from other uh, socioeconomic brackets, all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit will break through all the barriers, break through all the barriers, and will make us a, a people that respond to the Spirit so that we love each other. New people that are moving here, one of the things they're looking for is not just a great, exhilarating Sunday morning time. They want relationship. They want caring. They want friendship. We had a man in our small group that was sharing about the need for someone that will listen, someone that will care, someone that will just be there and be their friend. And that's what the body of Christ needs to be. And I want to thank the Lord that the Lord is helping you to do that, and I'm praying that that love will grow all the more. And as you grow older, don't let the hurts to your love, don't let the attacks against your love, don't let the disappointments to your love cause you to stop responding to the work of grace in your life. So maybe even as I'm talking now, the Holy Spirit's talking to you about some concrete actions of love that the Lord's laid it upon your heart to do. Maybe it's caring for one of the older saints in our church family that needs some help getting around. Maybe it's like going to read for kids over at the schools and helping the school teachers out. All kinds of things. Maybe it's helping like a, a college student that, that you're burdened about. They just started their first semester of university and the Lord's laying upon your heart to call them and to keep an email contact with them. We could go on and on and talk about the concrete expressions of love, but I want you to open your heart so that we can increase this thanksgiving. The next thing the Apostle Paul talks about is what's going to make you know, our faith in the Lord Jesus begins our Christian life, that Christian life is expressed by love. Then the Apostle Paul shifts from thanksgiving and he reminds the Ephesians and he prays to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that those believers would understand three really important things. He wants them to rest in three incredible gifts that the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father have given to every one of you that have trust in Christ. Number one, Paul th- prays that you're going to have a spirit of discernment, a spirit of understanding, that you'll know the hope of his calling. Look what Paul says. He says, I continually keep after the Lord God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom. And this is the Holy Spirit. But I think here Paul's stress is earlier he talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here I think he's talking about the new spirit, the new heart that the Lord has placed inside of you that the Holy Spirit nurtures. I think there's a balance here between the new creation, the new spirit. As I talk to you today, if you've received the Lord Jesus, then your heart should be beating with me. You should be understanding. If that's not happening, then you need to ask yourself whether you've initially received the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting there going, I could care less about any of this stuff. I don't get it. It doesn't make any difference to me. Then it's possible that you've never had the gift of a new spiritual life. You don't have a receiver. You're not plugged in to that teaching from the Lord Jesus. If you know Jesus this morning, then as I teach you, your eyes should be opened. Your ears should be opened. Your heart, something should be happening in your heart. And the Apostle Paul prays, Lord, I want the Ephesians believer's spirit, that new life that the Holy Spirit gave to them. And he talked to us earlier that when you receive Jesus, that the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you as the down payment. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he gives you a heart for God's revelation. It gives you eyes that begin to see things from a different perspective. And we need to be praying that we'll be submissive to that Holy Spirit and that a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of knowledge that helps us understand all the stuff we're talking about becomes even more powerful in our life. Specifically, the Apostle Paul prayed that they'll have a spirit that will help them to understand the hope. First of all, he talked about the hope that they receive, a wisdom of revelation that you may know the Father better. And the Father, he prays also that the eye of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which the Lord God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable power for us to believe. There is the three things. As Paul talked about, the goal of our Christian life is to get close to God. That's why we stress with the Lehu family, it's about intimacy, not about ritual. It's about a relationship. It's about not religion, but about really getting to know God. But the Apostle Paul makes it concrete. As we're getting to know God, what does this intimacy with God do? First of all, it gives you a hope. The hope of his glory. Incredible, incredible thing. When your life runs out of hope, it's over. I'll never forget, Menachem Begin was the prime minister of Israel. He fought in the wars of independence. He was the one that blew up the King David Hotel in his younger years when he was fighting against the British, but when the British mandate was controlling Israel. And he, then he fought in the war of creating the Israel nation in 1948-49. And then he was a major leader in the wars that followed from that. But I'll never forget hearing him as an old man. He was no longer prime minister. His wife had died. And as I listened to him speak, I remember thinking, hearing Menachem Begin. He was a great world leader, a man that had lived one of the most exhilarating lives that a Jewish man could ever live. But you know what? His life, at the very end, there was no hope. It was like it was empty. It's just like Ecclesiastes says, all is emptiness, all is emptiness, says the preacher. Do you feel that way today? If you're on the way up and you're, you're going for things, you're living for things, and you're trying to have new experiences, your life is filled with hope. Your hope is in what you're going to do and the exhilarating experience you're going to have and the joy you're going to have. But you know what? The way that life is designed, you're not built just to have hope in this present life experience. And every one of your hopes, every one of those things that make you drive to, to have 
meaning in your life and keeps you going, eventually they're going to all be gone. For example, some of our church family, there was a day when they lived for their families and their marriages. They lived for their marriage. Some of you today are sitting there going, you live for your partner. You love your partner. And I thank God for that. I want you to receive your partner as a gift of God. And I want you to love them. But you know what? There come today, and one of the hardest things for Mary and I in our, in our ministry is to see those days when one of your partners is gone. Reva, ever since I've known Reva, I met Tommy and Reva. I remember their love story. They got married in about a week. Great example. Reva, you ladies, Reva will tell you about how you really know your life partner. Wham, just like that. And we did all kinds of, Tommy helped us found Faith Bible Church together. Tommy helped us found this church. He helped us start a church. And, I, and Tommy and Reva, all of my life in, in Texas, uh, since I came to Faith Bible Church, I've known Tommy and Reva. But now it's just Reva because Tommy's not here anymore. And that's hard, isn't it, Reva? Really hard. And you know what? It can create a feeling of no hope because my life doesn't have any meaning anymore. And there's going to be time of deep sadness. You know what Paul is saying? I want you to understand the hope of his calling. Because if you look at things just from a human standpoint, you're going to look at getting older. You're going to look at disease. You're going to look at minds that don't recognize you anymore. One of the hardest things for me in the ministry has been to have really close friends, men that have given me counsel, men that have given me wisdom, men that have always been there like daddies to be able to talk to. And now to go through times when they don't have any ability to even recognize me. And that creates a great feeling of hopelessness and despair. And that's what makes people drink. It's what makes people blow up and make a lot of foolish decisions. You know what Paul is saying? If you've received the hope of his calling, then God isn't done yet. You see, Tommy's not gone forever. And he's not suffering with, with a broken body that experienced lockjaw when he was just a young child and then had diabetes and lots of other things. Instead, what Paul is saying is that Tommy is safe with God, glorified, receiving the grace and the wonder of eternity. And we're eventually going to go to be with him. Now, that doesn't mean that we, that we don't live the meaning of this life. The Apostle Paul is not calling. He says, well, I want to go right now. Because he has a job for us to do. Part of God's calling is for us to live our life today and for us to enjoy our family today and for us to raise our family today. And if you're a great-grandma, for you to be a great-great-grandma for Jesus. But I want you to see the Apostle Paul is saying, I pray that you'll understand the hope of his calling. And I would pray for the teenagers and the children in this room that you'll very early in life realize that all the human hopes are not going to be enough. I want you to enjoy all the human hopes. I want you to enjoy all the exhilarating experiences that God has for you. But I want you to have that ultimate hope in Jesus. The second thing the Apostle Paul says that I want you to appreciate that you become God's possession. Here in Ephesians, Paul says that you, I want you to know that you will become the possession of the Father. This is an incredible thing to me. God doesn't need anything. We've learned in this book, God's the all-sufficient one. God's the one that knows all things. God's the one that's completely self-sufficient within himself. He has eternal love. God the Father is expressing love to God the Son. is expressing God, God's love to the Holy Spirit. They're totally self-sufficient. But you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that you have become God's possession. If I were to ask God, God, 
You like Mount Everest? Yeah, Mount Everest is great. It's one of my great, I'm sure God wouldn't say yeah, but I'm sure God would say yeah, I, I love Mount Everest. It's an awesome thing. That was just something I threw out there. It's part of my creative gift. Isn't it marvelous? <laughs> Do you love the universe, God? You love the Milky Way and the millions upon millions of galaxies which says, yes, it declares my glory. I said, God, tell me what's really on your heart. Tell me what's at the center of your heart. You know what God to say? In the Old Testament, God said this. My heart, my possession is Israel. Like if you were to ask me, Dave, what's your heart? My heart is Mary and my kids and my grandkids. That's my heart. That's my possession. That's my inheritance. Does that make sense? You know what God says to you this morning? I say, well, God, what's your possession? What's your heart love to possess? He says, in the Old Testament, it was my people Israel that fell in love with me and those that they reached to fall in love with Yahweh. But in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is saying an incredible thing. God created a new body of Jews and Gentiles together, and you now are God's possession. You now are God's possession. And I want you to relish that today. I want you to thank God for that today. As you sit there today, if you've received Jesus into your heart, then God the Father says you are his inheritance. You're his possession. You're at the center of his heart. And finally, Paul prays that you would understand the power of his resurrection. What makes us able to understand all of these things. He says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that took a dead corpse, a crucified king, and on the third day he came back to life again. He says that resurrection power is available to you this morning. What did it do? It helped you understand what I'm telling you. It helped you to put your hope in what I've just taught you about your eternal confidence of what God's going to do for you. It causes you to be able to understand that you're God's possession. Paul's going to tell you about how you used to be dead. You used to be alienated from God. You used to not have a heart for God. Those were the Ephesian unbelievers before they heard about the gospel. But now he's saying that resurrection power has come into their life. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that if you've received Jesus into your heart, one day that resurrection power is going to make you just like Jesus. It's going to change you into the image of Jesus. It's going to give you a new transformed body. But that resurrection power today is available to us. It's the power to live this day in thanksgiving, in blessing, and in joy. Let's pray together. Father, it's only your Holy Spirit that can cause us to understand that the same power that was able to raise Jesus from the dead resurrection power that's the most powerful power there is it's not a battery that needs to be plugged into the wall it's not a human strength that becomes weak and tired like I did when I was getting Jonathan moved into his apartment I thank you that resurrection power is even more powerful than nuclear energy it's even more powerful than the the incredible nuclear reactions that are empowering the sun all of those energy sources run out of gas eventually the equilibrium is reached and there's no longer a flow from a positive to a negative. It all ends up in a cold nothingness. But I thank you that the book of Ephesians has told us that there's a resurrection power. And this is a power that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And one day is going to give us total victory. And I would ask you, Father, that there would be a resurrection power today that would move people to faith in Jesus. I want to ask you that each one of us would open our hearts to receive the resurrection power of Jesus and to have it expressed in our life, to cause hearts that are cold to become hearts that are hot for you. 
and hearts that are hot towards one another in a holy sense, that we're genuinely brothers and sisters. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.